All right, everybody. Here we go again. Welcome back to the pod. This is David. I'm here with... Hey, everyone. It's Andrea. And this is the Text Lab, where we do a deep dive every single week. And our goal, let me make this clear, is to help you prepare to do a deep dive of God's Word in your life group this week, or whether you're just doing studying on your own. We really just hope that the Text Lab prepares you to have meaningful conversations with anyone in your life about what God has said to you in His Word. This week is John 9, 1 through 34. We're actually not going to read no, this whole text because... Not those 34 verses. It's a long text, and we know that maybe your commute isn't that long, and so we're just going to kind of summarize um, the passage and get into it uh, and go from there. So let's start by just kind of unpacking 9, 1 through 34, kind of what happens here. Yeah, so this is a story about a time when Jesus saw a blind man. He'd been blind from birth, Yep. and he's walking past, and Jesus decides to heal him. Mm. It's on the Sabbath Yep. again. So guess who he makes angry? Totally. Again. <laughs> I bet there's some people that don't people like people get mad that Jesus is doing that. Absolutely. So in this story, like there's a blind man, yep. all of the neighbors, all the friends, everybody knows this kid has been blind since he was mm. born, and they're they're paying attention. Yeah. Um, and once they figure that out, they end up taking this kid to the Pharisees because yep. they've got to figure out, well, how did you get healed and who healed you and what's going on and who's got the authority to do this? There are all kinds of questions. So you kind of have up. two, yeah, you have two main sections, the healing, then the questions, the controversy, the interrogation. Maybe tell us a little bit of like context of just where are we at in this narrative? What has right. just happened? What's going on? Yeah. So this whole story, I know it's been weeks since we were back right. in John chapter eight, but Feels really like it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it has. But this story is actually all happening within the same week. Mm. It's the feast of the tabernacles. Yep. So if you remember, Jesus has declared that like he's the living water and he's the light and they've had all of these things that have happened in the temple. We're still at that mm. Time. Yep. They're celebrating. Jesus is there and he's making these de- declarations again. So you're going to see him bringing up some of these same things. Yeah. And you can be thinking about like, it's not weeks later, it's within mm. days. There are still mm. lots of people milling about yep. and celebrating. And I think with that, with the Feast of the Tabernacles, this is really kind of a case study now for everything that Jesus just talked about. He talked about being the light of the world. There were questions and arguments about um, who his father was and being an illegitimate child and um, the Pharisees being children of Abraham. Jesus kind of ends chapter eight with that big I am statement that before Abraham was born, Jesus says that I am. And so now this is really all of that lived out in a real action way that we see here. Um, And so I think that's a great question to even start with your life group is just how does the context of scripture always change uh, the meaning of the text? We're going to see that a lot in this passage of scripture. And maybe that's just a good kind of exegetical tool conversation to have of how does the context, how does understanding their town um, always change the meaning of the author's intent of the text? So um, maybe roundtable that a little bit in your group to get going. Um, Let's take a look at the healing itself a little bit. Jesus heals a blind man, which is something that he really did a lot throughout his ministry. Um, Blindness would have been something very common in the first century, lots of people would have been blind. You just think about a world that's lacking sanitation, um, kind of as simple as like clean water. There's no modern medicine. And being someone that struggles with eyesight and becomes blind happens a lot. You see Jesus even when he's talking about who to invite to like a party says, invite the blind people. There would have been this whole group of people that would have been blind in the first century. And so 
It's a really common miracle that Jesus does, but also I think it's important to notice that the gospel writers include intentionally some of these stories of Jesus healing someone who is born blind, which kind of gets to the main point of this whole text about uh, physical blindness and Jesus healing that isn't just about being physically healed. It's really about being spiritually healed. And uh, the authors are trying to make a point about spiritual blindness that we see. And so you really see that as a theme. That's kind of the main theme of this text um, is being spiritually blind. And it's interesting. Verse two of this of this uh, chapter, you see the disciples ask Jesus, who sinned so that this person was born blind? They kind of start with that question. Andre, what's what's going on there? So this actually wasn't a odd thought process Mm. in that time. Like they would have wondered what sins had happened. And then we also see other times where Jesus will say like, go and your sins are forgiven. Mm. So it's just Mm. this really common mindset. And Jesus is trying to unpack and unwind some of that idea, right? Like that your sickness and your sin don't necessarily go hand in hand. And so here, when he's talking about this idea of this sin mm. was meant for God's glory yep. doesn't necessarily mean that mm. God caused him to be sick yep. so that yep. he could heal him later, but simply that we see kind of a redemptive purpose. Here. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Cause you could, someone could read this and think, Oh, look, the, Jesus says that this happened so that God's works might be displayed. That means that God caused this sickness. So now that Jesus could heal it. And I, and I think this is something that you don't want to go too far down a rabbit trail on, but important to note, like, um, it's not necessarily saying that it, we, that's possible. God could have caused this blindness in order for Jesus to heal it. But also um, this blindness could have been caused just by the brokenness of the world living in the first century world. But really now it presents this opportunity for Jesus to display the glory of God. Um, and Jesus really addresses that idea that you sin and then you are sick kind of very directly and say, no, that's not what's going on here. Mark 2 is a good cross reference for this, where you see Jesus healing the paralytic who's lowered through the roof and he heals him and he forgives his sins. Um, and kind of does, makes the same point that this isn't about um, someone who is sick because they have sinned. Um, it's rather about the glory of God being on display um, and Jesus healing physical sickness and healing spiritual sickness as well. Uh, we see the, the theme of light showing up again, right? Right. And it pops up in this kind of really awkward way. Jesus is healing somebody and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, and hey guys, guess what? We need to make mm. sure we do the work that we were sent to do mm. during the light of the day. Yeah. Yep. And it feels a little bit awkward, but if you are a parent and you've ever been in the backyard pulling weeds, you're like, yeah. this is a really great time to teach my kids about sin. Mm-hmm. Je- That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. Mm. He's like, this is a really great time to teach yeah. the disciples yeah. about having eyes to see the world around them yep. and using their opportunity to heal where there's still light in to- the world. Totally, totally. And it's a very intentional play again of John in verse chapter uh verse five of chapter nine here, where it's like, Jesus just said, I'm the light of the world. Jesus says again here, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Yeah. And and this is a real demonstration of what that means. Jesus heals the man born blind. I'm the light of the world. I'm bringing spiritual light and light would have been um, really connected to the glory of God, which is, which is flows there right in verse four. So it's like the glory of God's on display mm-hmm. here. And also then light uh, connected to the idea of understanding and spiritual understanding. You see light, you're no longer walking in the dark darkness. And that would have been connected here as well. And so you see again, light showing up. We saw it in John one, we saw it in John three, we saw it in John eight. And now here it is again in John nine. And that goes all the way back to Genesis one. And so yeah. you just feel the repetition that John continually is talking about here with light. Um, and that just kind of showing up all throughout the text. Yeah. To help people, helping people understand what it was really mm. all about bringing mm-hmm. light. 
into the dark places. Yeah, totally. And now I love this. This is so crazy to me. So he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Side note, I actually grew up in a town called Siloam Springs. Didn't really ever know what Siloam <laughs> meant. Um, but here, John chapter nine, I should have read John chapter nine. And it says, hey, si- pool of Siloam means, the word means scent. And this is just, gosh, John layering meaning upon meaning upon meaning kind of on top of itself. These physical actions that happen, but there's this deeper meaning in the text that's going on. The pool of Siloam means the word scent. And Jesus just says there in verse four, I'm doing the works of the one who sent me. And the pool of Siloam would have been where they had gathered water for the feast. If you remember John seven, where Jesus says, all who are thirsty, come to me and drink. And so it had this like significant ceremonial value. But now the man is being healed physically and spiritually. He's seeing Jesus. And so Jesus is the source of this healing. He is the living water. And it's not the pool, but it's Jesus. And he heals the blind man and and tells him to go wash in a place called Sin. And he's being sent there by the one who's been sent by God, right? So there's just like all this kind of meaning here. And so I think that's important to understand. And maybe that's a great question just for your group of like, what does all that meaning mean? What does kind of all all that imagery? Yeah. What is John trying to tell us through all this imagery? Um, What is he trying to communicate to us that there's a blind man who's healed by the one who's been sent by God and told to go wash in the pool of Siloam? That means sent. Basically, John's just trying to, I think, drive home this argument of like, look and see who Jesus is. He is the one who heals. So you would think guy who's been sick since birth (laughs) comes back and everybody throws a party. That's not what happens here. Instead, people get mad. We go to the courtroom courtroom because apparently the one who has the capability to heal isn't doing it according Mm. to the rules, right? So there's this big controversy now and we're headed into the courtroom and there are four main players, really. There are the neighbors who Mm. knew this kid, the Pharisees. There are this man, um, his man's parents, and then the guy himself. So Mm. four four players, the Pharisees, the neighbors, the man's parents, and the guy who used to be blind. Yep. What would this have been like in their town? Right. So I want you to think about in your life, just the person who you wish they would get better. Maybe it's Mm. a family member. Mm. Maybe it's somebody who has a physical ailment or I don't know what it is. Somebody you know. Somebody you know who they're either they're sick or their life just, you'd know things would be better Mm. with some kind of intervention or major change. And then all of a sudden, one day it happens. Mm. Mm. And for whatever reason, somebody yeah. gets upset and decides that it was not, it, that yeah, that yeah, yeah. healing didn't happen in the right way, mm. according to the right rules. Yep. So it can't be legitimate. And we they get dragged into court and there's this big conversation yep. that has to happen right, right. about the healing. Yeah. So there would have been this aspect of being shocked, first of all, of like this person that we knew, that we've yeah. seen been a part of our family for a long time. Think of small communities, small towns where you know everybody, you see them all the time. Suddenly this guy's healed, but then the Pharisees move in and you see them move in verse 16 of this text and they're concerned again, very much like chapter five of John where Jesus had healed the the paralyzed man. Um, And they're concerned again that Jesus broke the Sabbath. And you just can so obviously see them like just struggling with kind of the paradox of Christ that they don't understand. They're like, nobody can do these things unless they're from God. 
but they're breaking the Sabbath and that doesn't fit our paradigm. That doesn't add up. That doesn't fit really our system. And they don't know what to do with that. They're struggling with that. They're going back and forth. They're wrestling with that. You almost can see that. It seems like they almost want to believe in Jesus, but they're also so committed to the system, so committed to the rules and regulations that they've known and really sincerely trying to follow those things in order to follow God. Like, I don't think they were um, uh, not devout in their um, just basically commitment to the law because they thought it was the right way, but they were so caught up in it that when Jesus began to break that system, it didn't make sense yeah. in their mind. In their mind, the guy who came in the name of God would follow the rules that they yeah. thought God had set forth. Mm, mm. So you see the Pharisees wrestling with that, with how Jesus doesn't fit their system. They go back to the parents. The bar- parents basically just don't help out their kid at all. They basically uh-huh. just deflect and the tension is growing and they say, go talk to him. Yeah, they're uh, in save myself mode. They don't want to be cast out. They, yep. They're yep. like, the- nope, we're not, we're not going there. And you can see there's some like fear mongering happening here where the Pharisees had said, hey, anybody that follows Jesus is going to get thrown out of the temple, right? So they're already deciding that they're not going to believe in Jesus. They're already setting up a system that's working against Christ. Um, And so the parents are are in that place where they're like, talk to the son. And it's amazing. Then in verse 28, the Pharisees go back and they, they say, you know, we don't know who Jesus is, but we are disciples of Moses. And you see Moses come up here again. And again, here's more repetition. Moses, really big deal in the last three chapters of John, when Jesus is um, Mm -hmm. at the feast of the tabernacles. And he's uh, basically the, at this celebration, that's remembering what Moses had done. Again, Moses shows up here and they say, we don't know who Jesus is, but we are disciples of Moses, which is amazing because we're talking about being disciples of Jesus here. Mm -hmm. And they're basically playing their cards and saying, you know, what? we're going to trust and follow Moses, which I think is an important piece here to think about John writing to people 70 years later, wrestling with this same question. Do we follow Jesus or do we follow uh, the religious rulers and leaders of the law? who are following the way of Moses. And John is just making this argument again and again, saying, follow Jesus, that he is the true Messiah. At the end of the day, the man gets kicked out of the synagogue, the very things that his parents were afraid that would happen to them. And and you really just see people caught up in their system, caught up in the thing that they are devoted to, and they're missing Christ again, who's right in front of them. Yeah. And gosh, this guy, like, I think it's so interesting that he is willing to give up this system. And yeah. and I don't, I think, you know, maybe that major change in his life made it easier. But when I mm. think about all of us and the systems that we live in, yeah. whether that's our family systems or our churches or yep. our schools or our political parties or social media or whatever mm. it might be, like, what are we willing to risk yeah. to follow Jesus? Yeah. Um, Seems like seems like a really good question to yep. ask about this. Yep. Or how do you even know what you might be blind to? Because yeah. These Pharisees were bent to follow the rules and couldn't see that Mm. they were missing Jesus right in front of them. So like, how how do we figure that out? How do we know? How do we listen to the spirit Mm. in such a way that lets us say, I'm willing to give up what I've held on to for so long because Jesus is calling me. Totally. I think that's so good application, Andrea. I think the main idea of this text, Jesus is the light of the world, bringing spiritual light to the spiritually blind. And I think that's the right question to ask there is, what is blinding me to Christ? For for the Pharisees, it was the fact that they didn't fit the system that they had in their minds. For me, I think it's oftentimes just a lot of distraction in my life. Like what is blinding me from seeing Jesus? Gosh, I'm just can be so distracted by Netflix. I can be so distracted by sports. I can be so distracted by uh, my own hustle 
uh, to get what I think I need to get done to accomplish the goals that I want to accomplish sure. to kind of just live in my own system, uh, my own rhythms of life that can that when I get more devoted to those can cause me to miss Christ that might be right in front of me that might be doing something in a way that I didn't expect in a way that I wasn't prepared for so I think there's just a real invitation here to live with palms up open surrendered saying God what are you inviting me into God how are you moving and how do you see Jesus today he's the light of the world Uh, he's the great I am he's doing the works of God who sent him the spirit is at, at work and moving in our life today and how do we be more in tune and aware to that rather than to my own things that are distracting me, causing me to be blind, causing me to miss Christ who's right in front of me. Gosh, I think we even see Jesus doing some of that right at the beginning, right? Mm. As he passed by, he saw, Mm. and then he healed. So like... That's good. In the midst of everything he's doing... As you're walking. He's going to stop and take care of the thing right in front of him because what he brings with him is the light of the world. Mm. And that's the same thing that's with us. So Mm. how do we get to the point where we can, as we're going, be aware of Mm. what's happening around Mm. us and what God is calling us into? Mm. So good. So good. Gosh, I love that. That's that's a word to live with today. As you go along, look for the light of the world. Yeah. Thanks for spending your time with us. We promise that we're going to do our best always to make this time valuable for you, the leader. If this has helped you in any way, let us know. Whether you're at the gym, mowing the lawn, driving, or who knows, heading out to do something fun now that we're getting out of these COVID restrictions. (laughs) Whatever you like to do while listening to podcasts, we hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to walk through the text with your group this week. As always, do your own prep. Let the Spirit truly lead you as you go. Know that you're one who is sent this week um, to the Pool of Siloam, to the one who has been sent from God and sent out by the one who is from God, to your group, your family, your neighborhood, to your school, wherever God has sent you to be the living proof of a loving God. We love you guys, and we'll catch you next time on the next lab.